Welcome. I'm Jack Constantine, an undergraduate student at The Ohio State University studying finance. In partnership with the Keenan Center for Entrepreneurship, this interview series will feature student ventures that competed and won Ohio State's first ever President's Buckeye Accelerator. Today's venture we will be speaking with is For the Love of Primates, and representing For the Love of Primates is Tessa Cannon and Maddie Green. So first of all, I want you to both, and we can start with Tessa, kind of go into the the context of who you are um, more as like an Ohio State student and kind of what your major is, what your field of study, and kind of why you're here in the first place. Sure. Um, So I am a fourth-year PhD candidate in the anthropology department, um, but specifically I study primates. Um, So there's a lot of, you know, overlap between what we can learn about humans and what we can learn from primates. So I'm more focused on uh, that side of things. Um, But yeah, I started for the love of primates around the same time that I started out here at Ohio State. So the venture along with my studies have kind of just evolved together. What about you, Maddie? Well, I'm also a PhD student. I study biological anthropology, but I'm really focused on more archaeological questions. So while my research really focuses on Japan and really ancient Japanese lifeways, the kind of attitude that Tessa had about primates and uh, the the mission of For the Love of Primates really drew me to her nonprofit and we got together and started talking about it and I was invited to join the board and it kind of just blew up from there. Awesome. So yeah. uh, real quick, can you give the listeners an explanation of just what For the Love of Primates is just so they understand kind of for the rest of the conversation sure. um, yeah. what we're talking about. Yeah, for sure. So For the Love of Primates is a 501c3 nonprofit organization, um, and our goal is to create and sustain a sanctuary for primates that are retired from laboratory research, were kept as pets, um, were used in the entertainment industry. Um, and so right now we're kind of working on uh, – the groundwork to establish that uh, nonprofit just in general, as well as seeking out some land um, and then eventually be able to build that sanctuary. Um, so it would kind of provide a forever home for primates that um, need a place to go or possibly maybe facing euthanasia. Um, so kind of giving them that second chance. So where did your passion come from for primates in the first place? And how did you like decide that this was something that you kind of wanted to dedicate Um, like much of your time to in your career? Yeah, so I um, did my undergrad in zoology at Ohio Wesleyan University. Um, And through them, I got a grant to go and volunteer at a primate sanctuary in South Africa called CARE, which is the Center for Animal Rehabilitation and Education. Um, And I volunteered with uh, baboons specifically that had like their uh, parents were killed by poachers or like local villagers if they were invading crops. There's a lot of conflict going on there um, where these babies would then be parentless. Um, and so the center would end up with these um, infants that they would raise as a troop and then re-release back into the wild. Um, so I got to learn a lot about the sanctuary life, at least in the wild, um, in the first place. But that's what really got me hooked on primates. So after that experience, that was kind of it for me. Um, I knew that was what I wanted to do. Um, so I went on, I got my master's at Oxford Brooks University in primate conservation. Um, and I did my master's research um, at a sanctuary here in the US. And it was more working with animals that had either been from research or were kept as pets. um, And they ended up with a lot of 
really abnormal and kind of like self-injurious behaviors. Um, so hitting themselves, not being able to interact properly with other animals, um, pulling out their hair, all sorts of crazy things. So a lot of the work that I did with them there was working to um, use enrichment to kind of correct and redirect some of these abnormal behaviors to give them a better life. Um, so after that, I knew that it was I wanted to work with sanctuary primates. Awesome. So where did the concept come for you to like actually start a not-for-profit instead of just working with the animals to kind of be on the forefront and be your own like innovation of the industry itself? Yeah. So there are only uh, eight accredited primate sanctuaries in the United States. Um, and most of those are located in the southern states. So the closest one that is um, to us is in Wisconsin called Primates Incorporated. And they're very also recently founded. Um, but as I started kind of learning more about what a real sanctuary is versus what a pseudo sanctuary is. So places that present themselves as a sanctuary but aren't accredited and don't put the animals needs first. Um, it really became apparent that there's a huge need for more of these sanctuaries in the US, particularly in like Northern and Midwestern states. Um, so I decided that it would benefit, you know, this population that I'm trying to help more for mm -hmm. me to create an entirely new sanctuary than to just go and work at one of these sanctuaries. Um, and I also started learning that a lot of the primates that are in sanctuaries right now are apes. So chimpanzees um, were the main research um, tool, I guess, species for um, the NIH, but they've since been retired. So all of the NIH chimpanzees are being retired to the sanctuary called Chimphaven. And a lot of the other sanctuaries that exist also retired apes. So chimpanzees, um, gibbons, or um, there's some with orangutans. Um, but there's only like one or two sanctuaries that have monkey species. Um, so that's kind of our goal um, is to create a sanctuary that's really focused on retiring monkeys in particular, um, since they're the biggest need right now. So this seems like a very, a very large task that you're deciding to undertake. <laughs> so can you talk about, and both of you feel free to pitch in, um, how your kind of team came to form, like what relationships were formed, and how you really tackled this as a joint effort? Yeah, yeah definitely. Um, so when we started out, it was very much a community-led organization. So only a couple people, a couple volunteers um, starting to connect with the community, just make people aware that this is an issue in the first place. Um, and then kind of once COVID hit and all of our um, organizational building went online, um, I decided that that was a really good time to focus on building a team that could do this, as you said, huge mm -hmm. task. <laughs> so it's a little bit daunting, but it feels so much better when I have such an awesome team working with me. Um, so yeah, I brought Maddie on. Maddie's the most organized person that I know. So if anyone can do it, she can. Um, and then we also added, um, so we have, there's me, Maddie, um, Ryan, our community representative, um, Melissa, who's very involved in the nonprofit community. She's also a business owner. Um, and she's our kind of director of outreach, so she's been leading a lot of our educational activities. Um, and then we actually just brought on Dr. Michelle Gonzalez, who's um, a local veterinarian who's also very involved in animal welfare um, and kind of the forensic side. So she ha is very experienced in like animal abuse cases or hoarding, um, which taking in pet primates, I'm sure that will come across. Um, so yeah, we've built this really awesome team. Maddie, do you want to talk about your experience? Yeah, I would say that Tess is probably the only one on our team right now who has this hands-on experience with primates except for Dr. G. And um, it's been really amazing to, you know, stretch my own 
knowledge about what primates are and how to take care of them and their role in our modern human society and like take this knowledge and this learning experience and kind of run with it. So Tessa didn't really give me any guidelines. She was like, take, these are all the forms. These are everything that we need to organize. I want you to take care of it and like get us, get us in a good structural framework. And I really took that as an opportunity and I think we grew a lot from it. Mm-hmm. And then our other teammates, Ryan and Melissa and Dr. G or Michelle, um, she they're all just bringing such different things to the table that I think if we had a traditional team of only primatologists or only people who've worked in sanctuaries before, we wouldn't have the same kind of differing perspectives that are going to help us achieve the ultimate goal, which is opening up the sanctuary. So when it comes to team members and I want you to kind of to give advice to those that are aspiring entrepreneurs, aspiring um, to start, whether it be a not-for-profit or a for-profit organization. What did you guys look for in team members um, in the first place? And then what do you think are kind of other kind of qualities that other people can look mm-hmm. for in a good team member? Because everyone has to have like different skills, like you said, manage really organized, and that might not be a strong suit that other people have. So yeah. like, what do you look for personally when you guys are building a team out? Um, I think we we've since we just recently added Dr. G, we've actually talked a lot about um, how we want to grow our team and make it bigger. And one of the things we've really focused on diversity. Um, so we have a very diverse team, not only in you know uh, race, sexual orientation, um, people from all different kinds of backgrounds, walks of life, um, but also in strengths. Um, so I think when when we were thinking about what we need to be successful, we wanted to make sure that. Um, we had all of our bases covered. So I didn't want to bring on anybody else that had the same strengths as I did. And I wanted to make sure that where I know my weaknesses are, that I had people that were really, really strong in those areas. Um, So I think, yeah, just making sure that you're thinking about your goals first and then thinking about what traits you want in the, or what connections or, um, yeah, those strengths that you want in the other people working with you. I really appreciate what you said about having the goals in mind because I think once you have that goal in mind, there's wiggle room in how you get to that goal. And so what I particularly look for in teammates um, everywhere, not just with For the Love of Primates, is the ability to kind of butt heads a little bit and say, like, this is what I think we should do and have somebody else say, well, I don't think so. But then once you start that conversation, it opens up, like, all these different avenues that you can explore that might not have come up if you didn't like disagree with each other in the first Mm -hmm. place and it's respectful it's always a respectful disagreement but but I think that that's really where the growth has been happening with our personal team yeah especially I think during one of our first meetings that we had for President's (laughs) Buckeye Accelerator like uh, we were all talking and throwing around ideas and I think we forgot that Scott was even there Mm -hmm. Um, but he at the end of uh, the end of this conversation was like I really love that you guys just like talk it all out with each other and that you're not afraid to disagree you're not afraid to like shake up each other's ideas Um, and I think that that's a really valuable thing that our team has that I don't I don't know if we purposefully worked towards having that but for some reason it's it's just there there's a synergy there yeah and it really it shows a a high level of self-awareness because like you said you have to know your weaknesses in order to find people that fill them Mm -hmm. and so you had to be honest with yourself about this is what I'm good at this is what I'm not good at but it's also the sense of other people kind of calling you out and helping you grow in separate ways and, and testing your ideas, you don't see your flaws. People don't see their flaws very often because they're closest to them. Mm-hmm. And they, they can't zoom kind of out and see, like, what's the bigger picture. And whether it be an idea for something and, and they have a personal bias 
or it's just like something that they think they're good at may not be better than someone on the team. It's being willing to allow someone to criticize you and you actually be excited for the fact that you're going to grow from the opportunity and help the organization grow is like a very, it's a very admirable trait and it's, it's not always a given when it comes to teams when they're, um, mm-hmm. when they're building out and, and deciding like it's the intangibles of a, of a team, whether they have the experience and expertise is important, but if they don't have those qualities, like you said, to bring to the table, it may not be as successful as it could be. Mm-hmm. It reminds yeah. me, I feel like we all need a friend who said like, hey, you have broccoli in your teeth <laughs> so that you can fix it. And I feel like that's exactly what each one of our team members are. Yeah. They're the people who will say, hey, you've got some broccoli in your teeth. Let's figure this out. 100%. So you guys mentioned um, Boost Camp, which uh, most people that listen, are listening to this kind of got some sort of introduction to what um, what Boost Camp is in the first place. But I want to ask you guys, like, how did you first hear of the opportunity for, like, kind of Boost Camp and then the competition and the and the President's Book, actually? Like, where was that? Where did that come into play? Um, so I randomly found it in one of our, like, campus-wide emails, and I always save those ones for that I see like grant or opportunities like that just because we're it's ingrained mm-hmm. as grad students to, to <laughs> put aside every grant to see if you it would be something you'd be interested in. Um, and I actually applied for it fairly last minute because I, I don't think that I noticed the opportunity until a couple days before it was due. Um, so I filmed the video thinking, well, if we get this, then great. And if not, then we'll move on to the next thing and that's okay. And um, we got the email that we got accepted, and I was like, hey, Maddie, so I signed us up for this thing. <laughs> I remember it was in a board meeting, and Tess, we were just doing updates for new business, and I was typing it out, and Tess was like, yeah, and I'm doing this. So we signed up for this uh, President's Boost Accelerator Program, and I think I put President's question mark, question mark, question mark, <laughs> because I couldn't keep up with Tessa as she was saying what grant we applied for. Um, but yeah, Tessa was heading off to the field, and so it really then became a really big team effort because Tessa yeah. would have to go. I mean, with a dissertation and in COVID, you have to go when the opportunity comes for you to go do your field work. Um, so Tessa and I went to the first couple PBA sessions together, and then I took over for Tessa until the end of the first pitch. And yeah, yeah, Manny kicked butt. I remember standing in the middle of the forest, like texting you, how did it go? (laughs) It was pretty intense. But yeah, so that's how Tessa heard about it. And then I took over for all the the meetings after she left for the field. Yeah. That's awesome. So what you mentioned that um, Scott was your XIR and uh, like kind of had meetings. You had like, what did you learn from that experience to not only collaborate with each other, but also have kind of that um, that fly in the wall to kind of give you advice and help you. Like, what was that experience like? Oh, my God. Like, was, invaluable. Yeah, it was really, really great, especially because since we are coming at this from a, the nonprofit perspective, it's very donor-focused mm-hmm. um, and grant-focused. And I think that a, a lot of what I've learned as we've grown as an organization is that you a nonprofit is run like a business, basically. Um, and there are very few differences so it's you still have to have all of that like business strategy in mind and Scott was really great at bringing us ideas and questioning our pitch deck uh, yeah Yeah. just bringing us so many different ideas and questions that we hadn't even thought of before Um, and thinking about really who who you're pitching to really really matters 
Um, and we had, I think the first pitch, pitch deck that we made was, again, very nonprofit focused, very donor focused, and that's not who we were pitching to. Um, yeah, so you guys did time, some great work reworking that. By the time we got to the first pitch, I think we kept the pictures of yeah. the first slide deck, and that was maybe it, and maybe yeah. some of the facts. And then we completely yeah. rechanged the narrative. And I remember um, Scott and I met pretty much every week leading up to that first pitch. And it was very overwhelming for me because until the PBA, I had no business acumen whatsoever. Like I knew some words like profit margins, (laughs) maybe like expenditures, but that was basically it. And so being thrown into the PBA sessions where they're like talking about these really intense theoretical concepts about business, it was invaluable to have Scott as a mentor because he was able to say like okay you have everything you need in this narrative we just need to move it around and put some better graphics on it so yeah yeah awesome so I want to kind of to go off what you said Maddie you mentioned that you didn't have really much business experience um, because you're more like in the science field and both of you I'm sure maybe feel in the same way Um, so like I think I had a conversation um, with Scott about this and we were kind of doing a video for um, to present to kind of Dr. Johnson about what's been going on with the entrepreneurship um, program so far um, this this past year. And one of the things I said is that, like, it's accessible now. Like, now that there's a kind of a separate, it's separate from, like, just the business program and everything, it's an amazing opportunity, and I think it's great. They're, they're pushing the people in engineering that are in maybe software design that are in the, the sciences and all the different kind of STEM things to push them to be entrepreneurs because you guys have expertise, you have skills. All you have to do is apply that and learn a bit, a little bit of the business side. It's not too complicated, and mm-hmm. you guys have everything and all the ingredients necessary for an amazing, an, an amazing venture. And so, like, what was it like, kind of pushing yourself into that comfort zone and learning kind of the the new world and the new industry? And like, did you guys know you were ever wanted to be entrepreneurs, or was this something that like just kind of stumbled upon it? <laughs> Yeah, um, I th- I don't think that I realized how much I would need to learn when I first started for the love of primates, just because like I was like, oh, I know all this stuff yeah. about sanctuary, you don't know about you don't sanctuaries, know. Yeah, yeah. but like <laughs> as as I went through, it was very apparent, which is one of the reasons that I reached out to Melissa to join the board because she is very business minded, and now we also have Dr. G, who's also a business owner, um, but. Before the two of them came on the board, I was like, wow, I'm lit. I'm in so over my head. I need to go find people with this expertise that I don't have. And I think that's one of the reasons that PBA really mm-hmm. um, stuck out to me as an awesome opportunity because it wasn't just, oh, here's $50,000, go like spend it somewhere. It was giving you that training and that support that you need to really give you that knowledge um, that I came in without so that was really yeah it was really valuable and I think um so Scott was a team member from the the get-go oh yeah like from the very beginning and then even through the first pitch deck um the amount of resources and support and like guidance that they would give us um really it it's kind of overwhelming to think like oh my gosh I have to learn everything about business in six weeks before this pitch (laughs) happens um but having Scott and the rest of the PBA staff on the team Mm -hmm. made it be like no no they're yeah. here to handle this part of it. Like, we're yeah. here to handle our part. And so it really does mesh with our board and with our team mm-hmm. strategy, which if you don't know something, that's okay. Go find and acquire the people who do know that. Mm-hmm. And so PBA gave us that really invaluable. Yeah, and if it was something that Scott couldn't help with, he knew the person that we should talk to. Exactly. Um, so just, yeah, having those those connections has been super helpful. What about uh, more of the community aspect? Because at least for me personally, I'd never seen such a, an in-person specifically, 
like because now everything's online where it's a group of entrepreneurs all going towards the same thing and yes people were competing and it was um very kind of ferocious competition <laughs> most people had great ideas and were working on it tirelessly but what was it like like talking kind of at the the different kind of weekly lessons that we had um as well as just the slack community like how was it like to actually have people that were all working kind of towards a similar goal um, I really enjoyed it. As as much as we were competing, people were all very willing to help each other. Like I I reached out to people to ask like, hey, what do you think about this? And then people reached out to me being like, oh, I heard you discussing um, this resource in the meeting today. Can you send me that link? And so people were very helpful, even though we were technically in competition. But it was such a learning experience that I think people really took advantage of that and learning from each other as well. Mm-hmm. I remember there was one particular PBA meeting where they were emphasizing the importance of data and statistical mm-hmm. analyses. And many of these uh, people in the program are undergraduates or who have very little experience with stats. And so Tessa texted me, she's like, hey, I'm offering you up as a stats person, <laughs> so um, be ready. And um, she put our information on Slack, and yeah. it, it was just really cool to be a resource for people and also have those folks be resources for us, too. Yeah. That was one of the things that someone reached out to me about was being like, okay, when you structure the questions, when you are gathering data, like, should I structure it this way? Should I structure it that way? So it was, it was cool to be able to like offer some knowledge, but also be able to soak up all of (laughs) that knowledge. I know. (laughs) Yeah, exactly. That's so awesome. So did you guys ever have experience like pitching previously? No. Mm -mm. No. So what was that like? You mentioned that um, you kind of had to, took a lot of time meeting with Scott and structuring the pitches, but when it came to the pitch day, we'll talk about like the first initial one. Like, how did that go? What was the experience kind of going in front of judges and, and all that stuff? <laughs> so that was really intense. Um, I think I worked on that slide deck for a minimum of thirty hours, just the slide deck alone, and then came the script, and then came like the practicing. So it was really intense. Um, but I think I ended up framing it. So as an academic, I've lectured so many times. I teach a class. Cl- I teach classes. Yeah. Um, I stand up in front of 70 students pretty much like two, two times a week. So the speaking in public wasn't necessarily the, the part that I was nervous about, but it was applying this kind of new knowledge of business that I haven't been exposed to in the past um, in front of business owners and people who give money for venture capitalism. So it was pretty intimidating. Um, but I think once the slide deck was finalized, once Scott gave me that, like, go get him, Tiger, pep talk, <laughs> it was a lot easier to kind of stand up there. Um, and then the questions that we got at the end of the pitch, um, so I can't remember, was it seven minutes for the pitch and then two mm-hmm. minutes for questions? Yeah, it was it was really, yeah. really short. Mm-hmm. Um, and the judges had such great questions, that initial one, that we actually had somebody who had experience with primates in the in the judging for the first pitch. And so he was able to like reiterate points that we had from our from our pitch and kind of explain it to the judges. And it was a really good back and forth. It wasn't just a very stagnant, it was a conversation. So it wasn't just a Q&A, it was a conversation between the judges and, and me. Um, yeah, it was cool. Yeah, I, I mean, I sent that video of our pitch to ev- literally everyone I knew. I was like, look <laughs> at this. I did this. I don't know. Uh, yeah. Yeah. It, my experience was obviously very different because I was in Africa um, with very little connection to the outside world. So I think Maddie and I talked like once once, once before yeah. the pitch since like since I left to when she gave that pitch. Um, and I mean, that it was a good conversation, but there was still a 
big chunk of time between that conversation and when the pitch actually was. So I was just like waiting and waiting to be able to get somewhere with cell phone service so that I could see how it went. And um, I wasn't even able to watch it until mm-hmm. like a week later, I think. Um, but no, Maddie kicked butt. <laughs> so you guys find out that you're in that, that final 10 and you have the opportunity to, now the stakes are higher. Now you're in front of 150 <laughs> people and they're, they're more judges and it's kind of a whole big event and, and whatnot. So like what went through your guys' minds preparing for that and getting ready for like that final day in April? Oh, I analyzed Maddie's pitch so many times and, like, went through and weeded out um, things that I know we wanted to keep, um, things that we could tweak and change. And I ended up keeping probably, like, 80% Mm -hmm. of the original pitch. I didn't change very much. I agree. Um, Just because we got such great feedback. Um, So I applied that feedback, and, and then, yeah, we didn't have to change a ton. But besides that, it was mostly just... I have the same experience of teaching in front of classes, but it's very different when it's like the most nerve wracking lecture of your entire life <laughs> and you have to do you it in seven minutes. Seven minutes. <laughs> yeah. You can't say, we'll pick this up next class period. <laughs> exactly, exactly. Um, so yeah, it was a lot of me just saying it to myself over and over and over again. I don't know how many times I ran through that pitch just to myself in the car. Or, um, But the more I repeated it, the more I felt okay about it and then of course you get up there and everything leaves your brain but it went all right (laughs) and we got to have an audience at the at the last pitch so tessa Mm -hmm. her partner was there Mm -hmm. my mom was there (laughs) scott Scott, our mentor got to meet my mom which was really special yeah one Um, of my advisors from for my program was there yeah Yeah. so i think it was nice for tessa to have that that kind of audience in the background too. Mm-hmm. Yeah, friendly. I I don't think I looked at those friendly no, faces at all, but they were, I knew they were there. Yeah. <laughs> of course, and then so the names were read off, and they were read off in no particular order. Like what was going through your head when oh they were kind of getting called? It was it was very high pressure. Everyone was oh, like, I know their we breath. were we were fourth th- that they called out so. of six. So of course they got through the first three, and I was like, it's over. We didn't get it. And then of course she says four as in like the number four as so I was like okay well she's not gonna call our name and then ended it with the love of primates Mm -hmm. and we just freaked out and hugged and I but yeah I think after getting through those first three and we weren't in them I got real nervous and then uh, for me I was like okay they have there's a pattern to the way they're reading them (laughs) even though they said they're in no particular order I was like there has to be a pattern and that means we have to be up next (laughs) so I was just trying to find the pattern and the way they were reading them but um it was just I remember Scott kind of walking out of the hallway, and he and we were, like, staring at him, trying to get any indication yeah. of, like, hey, Scott, did, did we get it? Did we not? Nothing. Just, yeah. like, a blank slate. Mm-hmm. So, yeah. Just euphoria, like, What did that I look think. mean? Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Trying to analyze. <laughs> did that mean that His we got it His eye ticked a little bit. What does that mean? <laughs> no, it's just such a wonderful, wonderful feeling. Yeah, that all of that hard work was yeah. worth it. And what was, I, I was talking to Garrett yesterday, and I was like, what was that day after? Like, because it's like the peak of everything, but then you're like, all right, now we got to get to work. Like, there's, yeah. it's a different attitude because you have this euphoric moment, but then, um, like, after the fact, you're like, all right, what now? So what was mm-hmm. kind of that, like, what came to he- your mind of, like, initially of what we have to do next? Um, I think I called our realtor the next day <laughs> and said, hey, we got the grant. We need to amp up the search for land. Um, so, yeah, that's. That was our one next big hurdle um, was just locking down some land so that we can start um, putting that money to good use. Yeah. So still looking, but it's gonna be it's gonna be a process. Yeah. But yeah, I think that 
I think I went and saw a property like a week later. <laughs> That's awesome. So specifically, I have, a, I have a couple of questions for you guys because there are definitely people listening and including myself that want to know, want to know how you did it, want to know what you guys did and, and all that different stuff. So I want to ask you guys, and I know you probably only have, what's it now, like six, seven, 12 months of like entrepreneurial experience, would you say? Mm-hmm. Um, and so even in that time, you've definitely learned a lot. So I want to ask specifically, like, what do you think was your role as more of like a student entrepreneur? Because you're in this u- unique mentality where you're not just waking up every day and grinding away on your on your product. You guys are both PhD students and you have a lot of, of course, writing to do. You have the lecture. There's like a lot that goes into um, just being a PhD student. Mm-hmm. And so like how do you approach kind of balancing those two like finite amount of kind of time sort of things and still yeah. being effective at both of them? Yeah, that's a great question. <laughs> I firmly and emphatically believe that you never, ever achieve anything alone. There are always people that you rely on and people that help you get to where you are. And I don't think it's any different for our PhD or for this uh, venture. Mm-hmm. I mean, Tessa has, if you don't know what candidacies are as a PhD <sighs> student, count yourself lucky. <laughs> it's essentially a week of hell where you write about 120 pages of text um, yeah. to be judged and pass on into your next stage of the program. But Tess and I relied on each other very heavily during that time period. And um, during the pitch, you know, I relied very heavily on Alyssa. And then I panic called Tessa in the field (laughs) and I relied on her. Um, And Tessa relies on her partner and I rely on my partner. Mm -hmm. And we rely on everybody in our lives to help us, like, get to where we want to go. And that kind of support is invaluable and I think it's essential. Mm -hmm. Yeah, 100%. And I don't think that we would have been as successful without the team that we created prior to even applying for this program. Um, Just because I don't think that I would have been comfortable leaving it in your guys' hands if I didn't completely trust you. And so I went to the field and I felt great about it. (laughs) (laughs) I'm glad one of us did. (laughs) Yeah, so I think it's, but yeah, besides teamwork and just making sure that you all have that, same passion and goal in mind that was one of the things that we talked about a lot as we were creating the pitch was circling back to what are our values and what are our goals and what's our what's our main mission and making sure that we were staying in line with that I'll also say that as Tessa says as I'm the most organized person in the world (laughs) organization is essential I mean if you don't know where all the documents are kept or where all the contacts are or who your team members are and their <laughs> contacts, and everything's going to fall through. So I think the organization is also key. 100%. But that's less fun than saying, oh, teamwork I makes know. the dream work. <laughs> it's true, though. Yeah. The nitty-gritty stuff, it matters. Yeah. What about, um, like, you guys have technical backgrounds, but what do you think are some just general skills that, um, I think specifically we, we can talk about the student entrepreneur. What do they need in order to be successful um, kind of with their day-to-day? I think that just not being afraid to jump in with both feet and like it might fail and that's just something that you have to go in knowing but if you don't jump in with both feet you're not going to know um and so yeah Amy my partner I think that that was one of the the biggest things that they said to me was just that you're you're not afraid to take on something with a huge risk and that's kind of what PBA has kind of given us that little cushion of, of support from the university but that was one of President Johnson's goals was being able to um, 
support these very high risk Mm -hmm. ventures. And she's done that through this program, through um, her other granting programs that she set up for research and things like that, um, which I think is just really amazing. So I think just not being afraid to take those take those risks, especially as a as a student, because it's it's very much like go big or go home. If you don't jump in with both feet, you're not going to make it happen while you're still in school. I think part of that, part of jumping in is also not being afraid to ask questions and kind of butt up against what you don't know. So it, it can be really overwhelming and scary to admit that, hey, I don't know what how to do business. Please teach me how to do business, generally. Yeah. And um, I think that if you don't ask, then you'll never know. And so having that courage and being able to fail, mm-hmm. quote unquote, um, in, in a professional setting is really important too. Yeah, and like we're all we're all students, yeah. I, I, forever. I, yeah, <laughs> just perpetually learning. So I think as long as you have that mindset of that every failure, quote unquote failure, is a learning and growing experience, that all you're going to do is improve. Yeah. Awesome. The last topic I, I want to go over specifically has to do with the future. Mm-hmm. So you guys, now you won the competition. Um, it's been a couple months since then. Like, what is your plan for say the next? couple months then also like where do you want to see for the love of primates in like the even more distant future sure um so for the summer our goal is finding and securing land so we're aiming to have something secured um or at least Mm -hmm. on the way by the end of the summer um because we can't start creating our building plans until we know where we're building um so once we have that secured start those building plans um, be able be able to show that to investors, partners, donors, um, just really being able to say like, this is the sanctuary that you will be contributing to create um, is gonna be a really, really huge step. Um, Cause I think that it's all very just, nothing's, nothing is tangible to show quite yet. And I think that really once we are able to have those plans, it'll become very, very real for people. Um, but yeah, after after we have those plans, we're planning on launching our capital campaign. And as soon as we raise all of that money, we'll start building. Uh, my personal goal is to have it um, at least functional by the time that I graduate um, so that I can just transition right over to doing that full time. Um, but I mean, in five, 10 years, we're hoping to continue to keep expanding. So we'll, we'll start fairly small to make sure that, you know, we're just dipping our toes in, getting our feet a little wet. And then once we have a really, really successful process, um, being able to just continue to grow over the next 10, 20, 30 years. Yeah. I think um, for this summer, while Tessa focuses on the land acquisition, I'm focused more on building sustainable and lasting relationships with major donors and um, institutions that actually use primates in research. So once we, I think those relationships are essential to actually retiring the primates because if nobody's willing to play ball with us, then we're not going to have any primates to put in there. So (laughs) I think um, putting our mission forward and stepping up to the plate with those relationships is going to be really key. And then, like Tessa said, in, like, the next five years, fully operational. Uh, well, before fully operational, the actual center's built. Yes. And then fully operational. And I just see it going crazy. I can mm-hmm. see us um, expanding and continuing those really strong partnerships across not just Ohio, but maybe starting into other um, adjacent states mm-hmm. and building a really wonderful place for primates to retire. 
Awesome. And then the last question I want you both to chime in for is I'd love if you can give kind of your two cents for um, an, like just any entrepreneurs, any piece of advice you would give to someone who's on the fence, whether it be of, of joining Boost Camp, making that leap, like you said, putting those two feet in and committing fully to, to starring something and taking the risk. Mm-hmm. Um, for me, when I was deciding if this was something that I really wanted to do, because it was, you know, you know, at the beginning, just an idea and me filing the paperwork. And um, it was it was a scary leap to make. But I think when I thought about like what what I wanted to do with my life, if I couldn't see myself happier doing anything else, then I was let it it was very clear to me that this is what I needed to do to make that happen. Um, and so I think that if if it's your passion, if it's if it's what you really want to do, then it's worth jumping in and it's worth taking that risk. Um, so if if you're on the fence and can see yourself happy doing something else, then maybe that jump isn't for you. But if it's if it's what you really, really want, then that means that you have the passion to make it happen. My advice is similar to Tessa's. Just be reflective. Um, think about where you are in life now compared to where you were a year ago, five years ago, ten years ago, and see what's changed and where your passions are driving you, and then just trust yourself and go with it. Awesome. Well, Tessa and Maddie, thank you for so much for – just give me your time, and of course, you guys have to work very much on, <laughs> on both your PhD, but also on this organization and growing it as much as possible. So I, I just really, truly appreciate taking the time to being able to talk with me and hopefully inspire others to kind of do the same in the future. So um, that's it for today of this edition of the President Buckeye Accelerator Podcast, but i um, looking forward to the next one. Thanks so much. Thanks so much. Let's see. Let me stop this at the same time just so it's easier. Three.